Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 1.20 a.m. Sunday night, Monday morning. And honestly, it has been a really cool couple weeks. It is June and we have had two weekends so far in June. And you may or may not know uh, June is Pride Month. And Pride Month is a really big deal in St. Pete. It's like one of the biggest Pride celebrations in the world. And this year, the way that St. Pete set things up, there is a Pride event every weekend. So we have been at two of those so far. We've had a, a booth passing out like stickers and selling shirts and just meeting people. And it's been a really cool time. And it's led to some really cool Sundays. So if you've been at church uh, one of the past two weeks and it was your first time, thank you so much for checking us out. Um, it's really cool to see us just continue to grow slowly. It uh, feels great. We don't really like count people that are there. Uh, maybe we should. I don't know. <laughs> it feels weird. Um, but I think today was maybe like the most people we've had in a service, like maybe other than our grand opening. Um, so that's pretty awesome. Like so much so that I think next week we are going to change the arrangement of the chairs a little bit. We've still kind of been keeping the chairs a little bit apart so we can social distance. And I think next week we're going to have some sort of hybrid where there's going to be like a chunk of the chairs together and then a few areas where you can social distance if you prefer. So anyway, I'm just, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been a part of what we're doing. Um, it's really cool to see the numbers rise on Sunday morning. And also the podcast uh, numbers are insane. We've, we've had like the podcast streamed over 6,000 times at this point, which is so cool. So thank you so much. Um, especially huge thank you to you. If you don't even live near us and listen to the podcast, like that's awesome. We're actually trying to look at ways to kind of grow our online church presence soon. Um, to maybe kind of make it a little bit more of a community. Um, and we're going to do it via podcast and also via video on YouTube. So stay tuned for that. That's cool. Um, we did something cool today at church that we do maybe once or twice a month. And we have just one of our members hop up and do the uh, welcome and intro. So I'm going to let um, this awesome, super cool member take it from here with the announcements. We actually did a song today called Redemption by Nathaniel Ratliff, and it was his choice. He, he requested it, and I knew that it would make him cry, so I asked him to do the welcome right after that song, so you can kind of hear it in his voice. Anyway, give it up for the coolest dude in the world. My name's Rich. Uh, my husband and I live in Tampa. Uh, we've kind of been involved with Difference since the beginning. Um, it was a pleasure and an honor to be asked to help kind of launch this. Uh, little did we know COVID would happen, so... Everyone knows how that went. Um, I actually requested and picked that song today. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever heard it before, but it really speaks to me personally because I ran for a long, long time trying to find my peace. And it wasn't until I was able to live authentically as myself um, that that began to really take place. So um, I want to thank Different Church and Hannah and Jarrett and everyone else who's always been there for us. Um, so a couple announcements, if this is your first time here, or even if it's not, uh, please go to uh, diff.church. If you have your phones, you can always connect there. You can um, get involved with volunteering. You can sign up for our mailing list uh, just to stay connected to find out what's going on. Also, we got two more weekends of Pride, right? So has anyone been down to any events yet? 
One hand, one clap, another hand. Okay, good. We've kind of slacked, actually. June's been a hard month for us, so we haven't made it yet, but we plan to go um, next weekend. Um, that's about all I got. I'd like to welcome Hannah today. Today, we are actually going to the Psalms. And let's see. The Psalms is in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Bible. The Old Testament is also known as the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, we tend to call it the Old Testament in Christian circles because it is old. Uh, we weren't very creative. We were like, oh, well, we have a, a New Testament now, so that makes the other one old. Um, but you can also call it the Hebrew Scriptures um, to everyone who uses the Hebrew Scriptures exclusively as their Bible. So if you're a person of the Jewish faith, it's not old. It's just your sacred text. So Psalms is a collection of poetry that is mostly used in the worshiping life of the community. So there's actually 150 Psalms, and they're full of like praises and prayers and laments and complaints and celebrations. You can find the whole spectrum of human emotion in the Psalms. You'd be like, God, you're so wonderful. And then the next breath, God, I hope you murder my enemies. And then the next breath, oh, but you're so wonderful. I'm so grateful for you. So it's really, I find the Psalms very fascinating. And this morning, we're going to Psalm 139. Now, you may be familiar with a part of this psalm already, specifically the line in verse 14 that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Has anyone heard that line before? Okay, yes, most of you. Now, this entire psalm is about our relationship with God, and by extension, our relationship with ourselves. So we're actually going to read most of the psalm together. We're going to read from the NRSV, which is the New Revised Standard Version, and then we will discuss so we're going to pick up in verse 1, and you can follow along on the screen. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high I cannot attain it. Where could I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely, the darkness will cover me, and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, and your day, in your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They're more than sand. I come to the end. I'm still with you. Now, the question we are asking today, with the help of this psalm, is this. What would it mean to come back home to yourself? What? What kind of a question is that? What does it even have to do with a psalm? In my opinion, and since I'm the one with the microphone, I get to have opinions, um, this has everything to do with this psalm. Because this psalm makes a lot of claims about God. 
And whatever claims it makes come directly from the writer's relationship with Yahweh. Yahweh is the divine name for God. And so what this person is claiming about God arises in relation to their own actions, as we see in verses 2 and 4. Sitting, standing, thinking, walking, lying down, speaking. All of this person's actions somehow relate to God, the object of God's attention. And they're just like poetically describing this sense of being completely surrounded by God. No place. This is what this is saying. No place is vacant of God's presence, not heaven or Sheol. Now, Sheol, just a side note, that's not hell. It's just the realm of the dead. There's no concept really of hell when this was written. So not heaven or Sheol, not east or west, not day or night. And all of these phrases, they're just generalizations of life and time and space. If I say, as far as the east is from the west, I'm making a generalization about space, heaven or hell. The writer's saying, God is waiting for me in every place, in every time, in every space. God is already there. The writer's also claiming that God was involved in their life before they were even born. Verse 13 says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And then we have in verse 15 this language shift from like prenatal imagery to terrestrial imagery. Verse 15 says, my frame was not hidden from you, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now, I have heard many arguments about when life begins made from this psalm. And I think that's a worthy conversation of having. Like, when do we have ensoulment? When does life begin? Um, but when we think about the shift in imagery, I think we should be cautious about saying the phrase, when you knit me together in my mother's womb, that that is like a biological, scientific statement about when life begins. Because remember, this is, a, this is poetry. This is a person saying... I'm not thinking about when, he's not making a claim about when life begins, he's making a theological claim because the purpose of this psalm is actually about God. It's not about humans. And the writer's claiming that even if you're inside a womb or you haven't even been thought of yet and you're in the dust in the ground and everywhere in between, there is no place absent of God. God knows the days that are yet to come for this person Verse 16 says, in your book were written all the days that were formed for me before they even existed. And it's really easy to just read this psalm and take it like a face value. This is when life begins. And then this verse is very fatalistic. Oh, God knows all the days. It's very deterministic. I have no agency in my life. It's all predetermined for me. But I don't think that this writer is actually putting forth some sort of fatalistic, deterministic notion. Remember always that this is a poem. So the writer's like, okay, how? I'm just stretching for imagery. Like, how can I describe God? How can I even begin to think of the vastness of God? Our language is so inadequate. Side note. This is not in my notes. If you want to just like feel like you're drinking from a fire hose and have your mind melted about theology, you should read Peter Rollins' book, How Not to Speak of God, which, what, what does that even mean, how not to speak of God? The point of the entire book, in many, many deep and theological words that may require a dictionary, is no matter what words we use, the minute we describe God, we fail. Because it's impossible to describe God. Our language is nothing compared to God. And yet, language is all we have, so we have to use language. 
And this is exactly what the writer says in verse 17. How weighty are your thoughts? How vast is the sum of them? They're, so, they're as immeasurable as grains of sand, and I have dedicated time to counting them, and it was a waste of my time. All that's left for me is presence. I am still with you. That's all he can come back to. And I think that the theological claim that this psalm is making, that this writer is making, has implications for every part of our life. Because at, a, at the base level, this poem is saying we are not anonymous beings. And we are not just pawns to be exploited for some kind of gain. We are consciously created children to be loved. Okay, great, so what? I think that we find the intimacy of like really belonging sometimes very difficult to endure, to maintain. We sometimes have guilt, maybe for things we've done, maybe for things we have not done. We've got shame usually around some kind of perceived defect in us. And all these things just kind of come at us and just swamp us with this sense of unworthiness. What do you mean God knows all and yet chooses acceptance and love? It makes us squeamish. We're like, I don't know if I want to be in a relationship with God. (laughs) What if God knew? what I did, if God knew the thoughts that were in my mind. And like, we do this with other people too. Like just as we push God away, we hide from God's presence, we push people away. We hide from people's presence, both people who love us and people whose judgment we're afraid of. And sometimes we practically just run away from the presence of other people. Maybe not lately, because we're finally getting to see people for the first time in ever, like ever, a year. But it feels like a long time. (laughs) And we put up these walls and we hide our true selves and we dedicate a lot of effort into protecting ourselves from other people. And this is really especially hard for people who've been raised in a system of theology that sees people as primarily broken and sinners. Like if you've been raised in that theology, the idea of being fully and completely known by God, that can feel more like a threat than a promise of love. One of the ways this shows up is like if you're ever praying and you're like, oh, dear God, oh, I guess I need to confess all my sins first. Dear God, I need you to help me with having conversations today. I'm feeling really anxious. And then before we even get that sentence out, we're like, oh, no. But I haven't talked to God in a week, and God's probably going to be mad at me because of all the thoughts I had yesterday, and I had one too many drinks, and I don't know, I said some stupid things, and I hurt some people's feelings. I have to confess all of this before God would even deign to listen to me. And we just get stuck in this cycle that we have to somehow prove ourselves worthy before God might listen to us before God might want to be in a relationship with us. But this whole psalm emphasizes the constant presence and perfect knowledge of God, which actually destroys our belief in pretense. We we can't have it. If you really think about this, this will immediately make our attempts to withhold ourselves from God just disappear. Like God's not going to zap you. Because God already knows. So if you were going to get zapped, you already gotten zapped. God's not waiting for a magic moment to be like, oh, now you really did it. (laughs) This one went too far, lightning from heaven. (laughs) Like, I have a few friends who actually say things like this. They're like, I could never go into a church. God will just light me on fire. Like, you're just going to spontaneously combust. (laughs) 
Um, but if we think in terms of what the psalm is telling us, this God already knows. So if you were worthy of lighting on fire, you would have already been lit on fire. You would not be here. There's no use in trying to live one way before people and another way before God and another way to ourselves. God already knows. God knows from before you were born. God knows before you were even a twinkle in your parents' eye. God knows before the earth was formed. God knows. And that might actually sound terrifying. God knows us. But for people of faith, I think that this psalm, this short little psalm, has the power to lift us up like children in the arms of a parent who loves them. Like I think about my baby. You may have heard her screaming earlier. (laughs) She has very strong boundaries. (laughs) I hope that she'll be able to uh, verbalize them soon other than screaming. Uh, But when anything's going on in her life, like good or bad, she wants to be right here. This is her safe space. Me or Josiah, my husband. Right here. This is the only place she feels safe. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether she's melting down, whether she doesn't feel good, she has a stomachache, she pooped her diaper, it doesn't matter. She wants to be right here. She knows this is a safe place and that we give her the comfort she needs. And I think maybe we need to relate this way to God. Instead of thinking of God as like this eternal judge who's going to smite us or someone that we have to somehow appease before we can get what we want, we can think of God in terms of a parent. And knowing that can give us such a sense of security because if we're known, if we're understood, like our needs are already anticipated. Our desires are already foreseen. Our thoughts are no mystery to God. And all of this is intensely personal. And when we, we stop and become aware of God's constant care focused on us, gives you a little confidence. Like when, I, when she's upset and I'm holding her, much more happy to talk to people or even like make eye contact or smile at people. <laughs> if I'm not there, she's terrified. I noticed this the other day. I went into UPS and I just had her like in her car seat on my arm. Someone said hi to her. Oh no. You would have thought someone stabbed her with a knife. <laughs> Because there's this distance. Like, I'm holding her, but she's not, she can't feel me. She's in a car seat. And so, 10 minutes later, I walked into (laughs) Chick-fil-A, and I was holding her. I took her out of the car seat, and two people said hi to her. She was delighted. She was like, oh, hi. I'll just reach my hand to you. I'll smile at you. I'll kick my little legs. Why? Because she felt safe. Because she was close enough to know that she was secure, and everything was going to be fine, because mama had her. And when we stop to really think that that's how God relates to us as a loving parent who anticipates our needs, like this can give us such confidence. The one who watches over us from the moment we're made until we come to the end knows us completely. We're safe and we belong. And we find echoes of this psalm like over and over again in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. One verse you might be familiar with is in Acts. It says, in God we live and move and have our being. There is no place you can escape from God. Not heaven or the realm of the dead, not east or west, not near or far. It doesn't matter. Thomas Keating, who's a contemplative monk, like dedicated his life to being contemplative. I could not do that. I'd dedicate my life to just rambling on. <laughs> if someone wrote a book about me, they'd be like, well, she talked a lot. 
<laughs> but he said this after many hours of thought. He's like, the notion that God is absent is a fundamental illusion of our human condition. Like the lie is that God is not here. The lie is that God is not accessible to us. The lie is that God doesn't care. And if we could just approach God with trust and like be open to the wonder of the world around us and within us, then we might be able to respond to the actual goodness and love present inside of ourselves already. The writer has this, he's like standing in the place of every human and writes about this great gift of being personally known and personally loved and created. And we can't really take this psalm seriously without noticing the work of God already in ourselves. So when we ask, like, what does it mean to come back home to yourself? What we're saying is, what does it mean to live authentically? What does it mean to live honestly? Not just in words, like not just in speaking truth, but in being true to who God has created you to be. It's a hard question. We're like, oh, who? if I said, who are you, you would look at me weird. We don't say, who are you? We say, what do you do? What do you do? What's your work? But who are you? That's a different question. And we, can, we can't really answer it without comparing ourselves to other people. It's not helpful. To, does anyone compare yourselves to others ever in your life? Oh, only Jared. Mm-hmm. This is a sermon on being honest, okay? <laughs> so it's not how, like we all compare. The cliche is be like, oh, on social media, we all compare, right? It's not helpful to be like, well, just quit it. Stop comparing yourselves to other people. We are wired for this. Our brains can't escape it. So let's do an exercise. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to picture yourself, you're alone in the woods, like deep woods, really dark. There's no light. You don't even know what time it is. That's how dark it is. You can't see the moon, can't see the stars. You're alone. It's so quiet. <laughs> and then suddenly you hear twigs snap. How do you feel? It gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't even have my eyes closed. Now, keep your eyes closed. We're in the same scenario. You're in the woods. It's so dark. You don't know what time it is. But there's 10 people with you, and you're all awake. You're talking, laughing, and then you hear some twig snaps. How do you feel now? A little safer? You can open your eyes. We are imagining this, right? This is just in our brain. Did anyone feel safer when you thought that there was a bunch of people with you? Most of you. <laughs> If you didn't, how hardcore are you? I would not want to be, I grew up like in the woods and I do not want to be, I live in St. Pete now, so I go driving down a road and there's no street lights. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> We're about to have Jeepers Creepers up in here. I can't handle this. We feel safer when other people are around. Of course we do. Even when we're imagining it and it's not even happening in real life, we feel safer just pretending that other people are there because we need other people to survive. We are social animals. And comparison is actually this tool. It's a survival mechanism for us. Our brains make us compare us 
compare ourselves to other people because our brain is like, if you get kicked out of the group, you will die. That is the underlying like evolutionary <laughs> message that your brain is sending to your body. If these people kick you out, you could literally die. Well, that was very helpful when we didn't have like houses and air conditioning. <laughs> but not so helpful now. And subconsciously, without us even realizing it, we're all constantly comparing ourselves to other people to make sure we don't cross a line, to make sure we don't get kicked out of the group. Like our brains know that we need these other people to survive, and so we've adapted unconsciously to just hiding parts of ourselves that we know won't be accepted or that might get an unfavorable reaction. And I mean, we're talking about this during Pride Month, right? And this is a struggle certainly many members of the LGBT plus community have dealt with. But this is all of us, usually. Like, if this is us for any reason, like you want to show up one way, and what comes out of your mouth? The opposite. You want to be true and authentic and, like, be who you really are, and you just can't. Can't do it. You, it's okay. <laughs> Give yourself a little grace. Your brain is doing this to you. Your brain is trying to protect you, in fact. That's why it's so hard to show up authentically and to trust ourselves because we all have a lifetime of experience of people saying you shouldn't do that. And one of the ways this shows up is we often get really paralyzed when it comes to making decisions. Um, before we stop and ask ourselves, what is the right decision for me? We ask other people. And by other people, I mean we ask the internet. How would you handle this? What would you do? We like search and search and scroll and Google and nobody yahoos, right? But like, you just search, do so much searching. We gotta get more information, more information, more information. And then we get to make the decision. Does it make it any easier to make the decision? No, you still have that feeling. And you're like, I don't know, I haven't, you have not convinced yourself. You've just added more information to your anxiety. Actually, this is a complete tangent. But there's some really interesting research on like insomnia and not being able to sleep at night, being connected to this information overload that we're constantly processing. So, and I don't mean, if you can't sleep at night because you're having anxiety, or you can't sleep at night because intrusive thoughts are affecting you, that's one thing. But how many of you have ever just tried to go to sleep or you've woken up in the middle of the night and your brain just starts thinking about a billion things? You're not necessarily anxious, but you're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get, buy more dog food, and then, um, oh, I didn't set out my kids' clothes for tomorrow, and tomorrow's gonna be a nightmare because of that. Am I gonna have time to get coffee in the morning? I'm working on this project at work. Oh, I don't know how to do all these things. Your brain just starts rolling, usually at like 3 a.m. Between 3 and 5 a.m., that's when it hits. Why? Because our brains need time to process. And if we filled all of our day with noise, whether it be from people or scrolling on our phones or watching TV or being really busy, when you finally lie down to go to sleep at night, your brain is like, oh, I can now go through all this information that you've dumped into myself. Thank you for this time. Your brain just like takes off like a rocket ship. And you're like, no, I would like to go to sleep. No, <laughs> it's not going to happen. If it can't do it during the day, it will take over at night. So when we think about this, we're just dumping information on top of our inability to choose, and there's nothing wrong with consulting other people, right? There's nothing wrong with doing research. There's always a place for gathering more information, making intelligent decisions, informed decisions. There's always a place for seeking help from experts. But we tend to do that 
before we even ask ourselves, before we even check in with ourselves, what do I really want? And it just reaffirms to our psyche again and again and again and again, I can't trust you. I can't trust myself. I, I don't feel good in making this decision. I feel anxious. I don't want to sit with that feeling, so I have to add more information, and we add more information, and we still are anxious, so we don't know what decision to make. And we get trapped in this cycle where we've trained our brains to find, to find the answer somewhere other than us. Instead of capitalizing on this constant reality that the psalm speaks of, being fully known and fully loved and fully accepted by God, we trap ourselves in this cycle of comparison and anxiety. I don't know what decision to make, so I need to find out more information. Well, that person over there made a different decision. That person over there looks like they have it together. Why don't I feel like I have it together? And this is the question we have to answer. How do you feel? I'm always asking people this question, and I would say at least 50% of the time, people are like, what? why'd you ask me that? Why would you ask me that? The first time someone asked me that was actually in counseling. She was like, well, how do you feel about this? And I was like, what? Of course you would ask me that question. I feel terrible, clearly, that's why I'm here. How do you feel? Is this good for you? Ben can come back up. Um, this is the question underneath it all. Does it lead you to a more authentic, open, and honest life? And if the answer is no, then you have your answer. How do you feel? Any decision. Does this lead me to a more authentic, open, and honest life? Not honest words, although words are important. Does this lead me to being more truly who God made me to be? Does this lead me to being free? Or does it feel like I'm picking up more chains, as we said last week? And my hope is we can kind of try to choose the way of authenticity and openness and honesty more and more. It's like a muscle in our brain. We have to exercise it. So the first time you're like, yes, this, this is the decision I'm going to make, it might feel really overwhelming. Remember, the only person you have to convince is yourself. You are not responsible for other people's reactions or emotions unless you're being a jerk. Okay, so if, as long as you are not being a jerk, <laughs> you're not responsible for someone else's emotions about your decision. The only person you have to convince is yourself. We can be more open and more authentic and more honest because we already have this relationship with God. We're already fully known, so there's no need to hide. We're already completely loved, so there's no need to hide. We're already completely accepted, so there's no need to hide. We already completely belong, so there's no need to hide. And if we can take that and apply it to ourselves, then actually we can then become more open to each other. Most of the time when we shut other people out, it's because we can't accept what's going on in our own hearts, in our own minds. So we're actually gonna read Psalm 139 again. I'm gonna read it from the Passion Translation this time. And I just, we're just gonna do another exercise. So I just invite you, like, either whatever feels comfortable to you, you can close your eyes, you can keep them open, to kind of wrap your arms around yourself or put a hand on your heart, like have some kind of contact, like bodily contact with yourself. And just let these words kind of like float over you. 
like a wave. Think about the grace of God. Think about your own internal value, your own internal goodness and worthiness. As we read the psalm again. Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul and you understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. You know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey begins. You've gone into the future to prepare the way. And in kindness, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. You've laid your hand on me. This is just too wonderful, too deep, too incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're already there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or ask the darkness to hide me because your presence is everywhere, bringing light to my night. There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as the day. There's no difference between the two. You've formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside. You wove them all together in my mother's womb, and I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully, you shaped me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. And every single moment, you are thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I wake every morning, you're still with me. We have two more songs, so I just invite you to stand. Uh, this is my favorite song that we're about to do. Just continue to contemplate the goodness of God 